don't know about you, but it's about this time each year that I start to get really excited about celebrating the winter holidays. All the traditions and food and gatherings and food and family and, of course, more food. The more I think about it, the more I've realized that food plays a pretty large role in a lot of my traditions and they generally are kind of the same food. So I'm curious if that's always been the case with a lot of our winter holidays and traditions, and if not, how did it become that way? Well, Virginia Tech's Anna Zeta was kind enough to share her insights on this topic. Anna's an associate professor of history and also the founding director of the Food Studies program. She also recently published a book, U.S. History in 15 Foods. So I got to chat with Anna a little bit about the history of some of our food traditions, specifically the ingredients that are used in the winter months. We talked a little about the personal nature of winter holiday traditions and shared some of our own favorite traditions that hopefully will occur this year. So again, I promise you will leave this conversation without craving some holiday treats, but you have been warned. I'm Travis Williams, and this is Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations. curious at what point in your academic journey did did food come into the to the equation and did you know that was going to be kind of like your thing yeah it's definitely a sort of um a big question that has a lot of different answers and i think that there's often kind of a more personal answer that i give and a more professional or academic one um i did not have a very straightforward academic path so it wasn't something that i sort of always knew i wanted to study i didn't even know it was something you could study until I had started um, my PhD program. Um, But I would say that even before that, I definitely, since childhood, I think had a sort of keen understanding of how important food is to people's identity and to their sense of like where they come from, where they belong and don't belong, how people take for granted food decisions, and yet how deeply rooted they are in kind of all of these factors about where we come from. I grew up in a small town in Arkansas as a child of immigrants, Soviet Jewish immigrants. And we definitely ate very different from people around us. And there were other ways that my family was different also. But I think food was one of the earliest ones I noticed as like, oh, this says something about where my family's from and where the relatively like homogenous otherwise community that I lived in kind of all ate in the same way and took for granted that that was normal. Um, So I do think I had a very early kind of awareness of that in a way that I don't think most people come to see that until much later in life. Um, And I think that sensitized me to like the way that food can have meaning beyond sort of taking in calories or just feeding ourselves day to day. Yeah. But then professionally, I was a biology major and environmental studies major in college. I decided I was really interested in history of science, um, which is what I did my PhD in without knowing much about history. Um, And then when I got to my PhD program at the University of Wisconsin, another student said, oh, I'm studying the history of food. And it kind of like felt like a light bulb moment. I had never heard that that was a thing one could study. I had never heard it was something you could study within history of science. Um, In his case in particular, he was studying like how World War II shaped the industrialization of food, um, which was this really interesting idea of like taking something historians talk about all the time But at the time, and from my perspective, like talking about an aspect of it that rarely got talked about. Um, And so I started looking at it and I was also really interested in kind of the food movement that was happening at the time in the early 2000s around local food and thinking about where our food comes from, farm to table kind of efforts and wanting to understand the history of how it came to be that we didn't know where our food came from in the U.S. Like 
that that was a recent phenomenon, but a dramatic uh, revolution in the way that Americans approach their food. Um, so I, I started studying the history of canned food. That was my first, my dissertation that became my first book as a way of thinking about how processed food more generally became something that Americans trusted and how kind of scientific expertise played a role in developing that trust. Yeah, it's fascinating to me sometimes how people's journeys go. And then there's just like this moment where it's like, oh, this is where it was going. <laughs> yeah, I think that reading about food in that way kind of sensitizes me and people who are interested in this field to like all the other invisible histories that exist behind the stuff that we engage with and take for granted every day. You know, food is definitely one such fact, one such area, but like, you know, everything, our computers, our the clothes that we wear, you know, all of it has histories and all of those histories, I think, tell us a lot more than we sort of tend to assume about the past and, and the present and the future. Yeah. And I think it is interesting that there's so many, um, I mean, there's, there's shows now on the history channel that dive into a lot of those things. I mean, there is the foods that built America. And I know that my mm -hmm. wife and I, we were captivated one like Sunday afternoon just by like ketchup. And that's the thing. It's like, it's so easy. Yeah. It's so easy to go down these rabbit holes that feel kind of quirky. But then when you start learning about them, it's like, oh, like ketchup can tell us so much about industrialization and processing and politics and, you know, nutrition standards and changing norms around school food. And I mean, so many things like one, it's like, yeah, one thing that seems sort of marginal can just be an entry point into the whole world. I wanted to talk to you specifically about the winter holidays and foods related to those, because I, at least in my family and for my entire life, I feel like holidays and food, like food is just the centerpiece of holidays. And, and I'm curious, has it always been that way, especially with the winter holidays? Has food always been kind of played like a central role? I think that there's certainly been a lot of change in the way that um, the phenomenon I'm talking about is sort of this 20th century, basically, where most Americans have gone from spending most of their time on food preparation and food as something that is deeply meaningful to family gatherings and to the labor and sense of connectedness to the land. All these things that so characterized human history relationships to food have really dramatically changed in the last hundred years or so. And to, to this moment where today Holidays, I think, are one of the few times when Americans as a whole tend to stop and pay attention to food explicitly to home cooked food in particular, like to cooking a big meal, like the way that people cook around Thanksgiving still in homes where very little home cooking happens the rest of the year. There can still be this emphasis on pausing to like devote uh, labor and usually women's labor to creating a certain meal that is more than just a meal, but a sense of who we are, a sense of what our family is about, um, you know, often with the stress that comes with <laughs> um, putting, bringing a lot of people together. But I think in that way, although, yes, I think holidays have always been a time for sort of saving your special foods, for cooking more, for having abundance, even among people who didn't have a lot. Um, I think the particular distance between sort of like normal meals and holiday meals has grown even farther because of this rise of kind of the processed food industry that we're so reliant on today. And not that the processed food isn't present in a lot of holiday foods, but there can be sort of an emphasis on home cooking and on traditional recipes and on passed down generational understandings of what holiday foods are in this way that doesn't typically characterize many American families other times of the year. 
beyond the food itself, Mm -hmm. I think that just like the act of recognizing that paying attention to our food a couple times a year has like tradition that it's tied to like family sense of, you know, where we come from in the past. And I don't don't think most families like stop to talk about or think about that explicitly, but I do think it's like a reconnecting moment in a way that doesn't happen a lot of the rest of the year. Yeah. We use dishes that in my house that we don't use any other time of the year. For, to both both to cook and, yeah, and to eat right. off of. Yeah, You save these things that are meant for for occasion, for ritual, for passing the, you know, marking the passage of time in this way that we, you know, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, like just as seasons change, you know, how, especially in a place like Blacksburg that has such like pronounced seasons, like how life feels quite different when you're bound by seasons than places where it's more uniform or, you know, hotter year round or colder year round. Like there's something emotional that accompanies marking time passage. And I think, you know, holidays do something similar for us. Yeah, I I definitely think so. Well, I wanted to talk to you some about the foods related to the winter holidays, quite frankly, because I feel like Thanksgiving doesn't need any more PR. Like, I feel like they've, there's enough, uh, there's enough coverage there for the Thanksgiving foods. But I'm, I'm curious when it comes to some of these, these winter holidays, and I know there's a lot of different ones. What are what are some traditional foods that have maybe come from other countries and become part of American culture? Yeah, well, maybe I'll talk for a minute just about like maybe less specific foods and kinds of ingredients, kinds of trends, kind of categories. I mean, I think winter foods in particular are such an interesting, not oxymoron exactly, but the sense that like winter is a time when nothing is fresh, nothing is growing, nothing is being harvested. You know, again, pre about 100 years ago or so when this kind of shift starts to happen, most food that we have had to be preserved in some fashion because there isn't global shipping networks that bring us, you know, tropical fruits all year round. We don't have refrigeration that allows for food to be um, just like acting like we don't have this connection to season um, because, you know, geography and location and time of year was dramatically affected what kind of foods that we ate. So winter foods, you know, historically, and I think we still see some, some relics of that today tend to be foods that either have like spices, like, you know, ginger or peppermint that, that might have like preservative qualities that have, that allow foods to last longer. So like a ginger cookie, for example, can have like the ginger can help with its sort of spice amounts to ward off rotting. It can be like a more dense cookie that can last to be shelf stable for a longer, um, you know, these kinds of things that also like you have like warming spices, sort of foods and tastes that when you eat them, they make you feel warm, um, like peppermints and things do. So this sort of awareness, both of like the cycle of the year when you need a food preserve, a method of preserving to have this food. And, you know, so you're not going to have like summertime like strawberries aren't traditionally part of like a wintertime holiday tradition because those are summer you know early summer veg fruits and the feel of them is a season seasonally different even if we can buy strawberries in the grocery store during december now um so i think those kinds of um awareness to climate and to season as winter holidays as a cold time of year matters a lot in the ways that we think about where some of these food traditions come from. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, we don't eat necessarily like watermelon during the winter in my house. 
Uh, but ginger, ginger is like a big, is a big deal. Like, so I guess maybe that's where they yeah. originated Yeah, and same with from. like, that's, you know, like a fruit cake that you might think that has like a liquor, like a rum cake or something that might be soaked in something. Uh, the preservative of alcohol also kind of conveys a similar kind of like preservative thing. Well, that adds a lot of like context to the flavors that we would have. I know there are specific foods that people have around their holidays traditionally, but are there any that stand out in your mind as far as coming specifically from other places, other countries? Well, you know, I mean, yeah, America is such like a a product of immigration in all of these different ways, other than Native American food traditions. Every other food culture that we have in the United States is a product of people coming from other places and obviously the U.S. has sort of become dominated in a lot of ways by sort of Christmas and Christian traditions, um, which I think focus a lot on like a lot of food traditions, but like a lot of like <sighs> treats, right? Like cookies, rich breads, things that are made with a lot of like oil and butter and eggs, these kinds of foods that carry with them a feeling of special occasion that you might save up for these things, a feeling of sort of satisfying or sating ourselves in different ways. Um, but then, of course, there, we've had all of these waves of in immigration that have brought a lot of other cultural norms. I'm I'm Jewish and, and my parents are Soviet immigrants. Um, and so, you know, the way that I grew up with certain kinds of, um, you know, Hanukkah related traditions that have a lot to do with kind of some 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 of it's specific to Judaism, like the story of Hanukkah specifically. That's a lot about oil and deep frying things like latkes, potato pancakes and um, sufgani yot, which are like jelly filled donuts that you deep fry. Um, but even beyond that particular, like the story of Hanukkah, I think this sort of focus on like light and keeping light alive, keeping light aflame at a time of like the winter solstice being the shortest day of the year and these dark, dark days looking for things that bring light, I think is another kind of cross-cultural representation of foods that kind of represent something. Um, light filled and tasty and nourishing at a time of, um, of darkness in a lot of other ways. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I know you also wrote a book recently. Um, I think it came out over the summer about 15 foods that explain America. But I also want to ask you if there's anything specific to the winter that, that we have very much in America, like Americanized related to winter holidays. Mm. I'm grasping a little bit for very specific foods. Um, because I think that there's an interesting way in which like, what are standard Christmas or holiday foods for a lot of Americans feel very personal, at least as I understand them in a way that's quite different from like Thanksgiving that has this very sort of standard menu where, you know, people think Thanksgiving can't be Thanksgiving without Turkey. Whereas I think deeper winter traditions are somewhat more familial. Um, you know, I think that like the habit of having a sort of Thanksgiving like meal for Christmas, like a, turkey sort of dinner or a ham dinner is a relatively new-ish phenomenon. I feel like people trace it to um, Charles Dickens and the Christmas Carol, like that there's a scene in that like mid 19th century of what kind of food writers described of a, a Christmas dinner being. And that sort of then goes into the popular imagination. And you said you're from Eastern Arkansas. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, is it a tradition there to eat collard greens and black eyed peas and hog jowl for good luck on New Year's Day? <laughs> well, it's funny because I definitely had never heard of that until I was an adult. And then I would re I read about that once I no longer lived in the Deep South as like this Deep South tradition. And I just thought, well, either I was just not aware of it, which was totally possible or, you know, it 
I think it, I mean, it's clearly a, a, a tradition rooted in like black history and in enslaved people who brought these traditions of New Year's foods and like the black eyed pea, the ground nut and these other um, and these other foods were very much like brought over with enslavement through the African diaspora. And then so much black food becomes Southern food in the South um, throughout the period of enslavement and after. And so I think that like, as I understand it now, this tradition of eating the greens and the hop and John, the black eyed peas and rice, you know, it's, it's a black tradition in a lot of ways. Um, but a lot of white Southerners have, have taken it up. And of course people beyond the South now as, as well. And I find that really interesting um, where kind of food traditions come from and what kind of acknowledgement is or isn't given to where these originate and whose, whose cultural traditions we are honoring knowingly or not. Um, Yes, but I never encountered that personally growing up as as a thing to do and did at some point a few years ago wonder, like, should I start this? I don't have any particular New Year's food traditions like it'd be kind of neat to have some. But like, what does it mean to like create traditions from scratch, you know, to like decide with your and because these are so family oriented, I think that's a really interesting question, too, is like how, you know, some of the traditions that we carry on might be something our parents or our family of origin did, but others are things that we pick up somewhere else. And then if you're, if you're an adult who, who has your own children, like what they're experiencing is what you decide to convey, like that's what they're going to grow up with, whether it's, you know, started from scratch or something your family's done for a hundred years. And so in some ways I've felt a lot as a parent of kids, like this real power over creating my kids sense of what, like we have to have this on this holiday or we have to do this every summer. Like those are things that we get to decide and new traditions can be made and rewritten from generation to generation. And there's a lot of power in carrying on old traditions. And there's a lot of power in sort of deciding that those traditions no longer serve you and coming up with new ones for various reasons for different individuals. Well, that's, that's really fascinating that you said my, my grandfather was the first person that showed me that traditional new year's and he always, we did not in my family do that, but he did that. Do you do it with your family now? Like, yeah, now me me and my wife, uh, since we've been married, we started doing it. Um, but the idea of recreating traditions is, is you're right. It is really, I've never really thought about it that way, but we, we kind of take what we want from our family and then we are like, uh, we don't like this. So we're gonna make something different. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think even for my case, like the memories that for me feel like, oh, but we always did this. Like, I'll mention it to my mom and she'll be like, well, there were like three years, you know, when you were like nine to 12 that we did that. And to me, it felt like my whole childhood to her, it was just a blip in her life. But because they were such pivotal years are so important in my sense of myself that I remember it as like my whole life. Right. And so I think that too, as you become an adult, you start to see different perspectives on things that we take for granted as kids in our family's food traditions and just traditions more generally. Uh, well, I'm curious as kind of, kind of to, to round this out. What is, what is a, a food tradition for your, the winter holidays you celebrate that you're really looking forward to? Well, kind of like what I was saying, I think I'm, I'm certainly an example of someone who's been inventing my own new holiday traditions and my new family um, because I grew up in a very particular family context in that my parents um, grew up in the you know former Soviet Union under this sort of communist government that that didn't support public religion in any way. And as a result, most people grew up without uh, I mean, not that holidays always are religious in nature, but a lot of our food based holiday traditions are rooted in in religion and in a country that neither had much food nor had um, much religion 
my parents really didn't grow up with any cultural practices around food. I mean, they, that's, that's not true. Sorry. They didn't have any ritualized sort of holiday traditions around food. There were a lot of cultural norms around food that they brought to me, but they weren't really rooted in holiday. But so as a child, I grew up very much aware that other kids, both like Christian kids in my community who were celebrating Christmas and also like American Jewish kids on TV who I didn't really know any of were doing these certain like Chinese food for Christmas or latkes. We didn't really do any of those things, but I wanted them. I think I felt a sense that a certain kind of cultural belonging came through practicing these holiday traditions that I didn't have. So as like a 10 year old, I started like forcing my family to make latkes for Hanukkah, even though my parents probably didn't even know when Hanukkah was and wouldn't have cared if I weren't the one pushing it. And, and that was kind of the way I started like building these things on behalf of my family. And so now as an adult with kids of my own, um, it does feel like most of these traditions are very new. I almost feel like every year I'm having to figure out which of these things matters to me now and what do I want to emphasize in our relationship to these holidays. So um, I do think food is like in Judaism is a really core part of um, cultural tradition. And, and so I do try to make food as part of our holidays. So we do always make um, latkes, potato, fried potato pancakes, though I'm always finding less deep fried and healthier ways to to make them. Um, we also do a lot of like baking of breads and sort of sharing. I really like sort of Americanized holiday traditions of like cookie swaps and baking for your neighbors and sort of exchanging food as gifts and building community through holiday food. So when I have the time after finals are over, I tend to like to try to bake with my kids and take baked items to people we love. My husband makes um, really delicious chocolate truffles that we tend to make as a family and then go deliver around to, to friends and drop truffles off on people's doorsteps. Um, that's not like something I've done forever, but it's become sort of a kind of tradition that helps to create connection among people through food. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I think that's a key too. you know, I think food, food is fun and food can also be work. And I think expectations around holiday tradition can be something that creates burdens for people, but it can also be something that that gives people light and a sense of meaning at a dark time of year. So, you know, my plug is to, to only do as much of the food stuff as feels fun and not the stuff that makes people feel feel heavy and weary. But um, finding that balance in each in each family. Thanks to Anna for sharing her insights related to food and the winter holidays. If you or someone you know would make for a great curious conversation, email me at traviskw at vt.edu. I'm Travis Williams, and this has been Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations.